Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzler. We have a great guest on tonight, an old buddy of mine, although we haven't spoken in 20 or 30 years because this guy has crisscrossed the country following that musical dream that he's had and stuck with. Mr. Willie Wisely will be performing a special Valentine's Day concert at the Granada Theater in Uptown Minneapolis. He's going to tell us all about it, but before we get into it, Willie, how are you tonight? Oh, Paul, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, doing really well. Actually calling you from warm California. Well, the sun's out up here in Duluth, and uh, the snow's melting, so I'm taking that as a win. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I'm not putting on my sunscreen yet. I don't have to. But <laughs> It's so great to uh, get caught up, and now uh, you're living back in Minnesota. That is right, yes. Uh, we have a house, it's, you know, like, like all of us, it's buried in three feet of snow on the roof with ice dams and everything going on. So, <laughs> I'm proud to be back in Minnesota shoveling snow. I love it. And you're in Montemedi, correct? Yeah, we live out in Matamidi, Delwood, yeah, on the, at the northeast corner of the, the lake, White Bear Lake. So really enjoying the east side. You know, I was always a Minneapolis kid, so uh, it's it's all new turf to be over uh, east, and, and I love it. Do you know what? Uh, do you know Billy McLaughlin? Oh, absolutely. Yes, very well. He's your neighbor somewhere. You know it. I I frequently drive past his driveway with that huge old 1960s Greyhound bus parked in the driveway. <laughs> That's the way to travel and stuff. You know, when uh, we did a little pre-interview a few days ago, you were telling me Montemidi and uh, uh, and your your wife is a Centerville, Minnesota girl, right? Yep, that's where she's from. And I lived uh, with a lovely lady on the Hugo. Centerville border, uh, right down the street from Tria Restaurant, and just uh, loved it. But we used to go, uh, to, there was a great steak joint out in Montemidi, and there's a building that's still there. Uh, it's been closed for quite a while. Supposedly, uh, that's where the uh, Ma Barkerners gang used to go uh, for dinner between uh, between uh, burglaries and robberies, whatever else they were doing. But I heard a great story. Uh, they were great customers, and they got a tip that the uh, the cops were on their trail and coming to that restaurant uh, to, to, uh, to arrest them. They got the, uh, they got the dibs on it, and they took off. But Ma Barker was nice enough uh, not long after that when they made their getaway. She sent somebody back because they forgot to leave, uh, pay their bill and leave a tip. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of history out there. In fact, uh, a, buddy of mine, a buddy of mine said that John Dillinger had a little hideout out there somewhere as well. Now, that I don't know about, but I do, I mean, some bad news. Yeah, they just tore down what was most recently called the Lakeview Country Club or something mm. like that. Yeah, and that was the building that you're talking about. It was in this really weird zone, like it's obviously like a hidden-in-the-woods sort of 
perfect yeah. for 1920s mobsters to disappear to. Yeah, and plus there was a big, you know, I think in the 20s there was still a big, uh, on that edge of Wiper Lake, uh, a, a amusement park. So right. I'm sure they could dodge in and out of there and stay in and out of trouble as they, they wished. So. And, you know, when, when we drive around out there, you'd see all these uh, little country roads, and I kept thinking, you know, that, that these were the little hidden trails that these uh, uh, these characters used to drive around and hit out in, and I used to go, God, is there anybody buried in those swamps out there? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know, or, you know, at least, you know, some stashes of Tommy guns or whatever. Yeah, yeah exactly, or or, the, or their loot, right? Hey, let's, uh, <laughs> right. when I was reading a little bit of your bio now, you really uh, started to make a name for yourself in the 80s uh, with the Willie Wisely Trio, and I uh, recently had Kevin Bow on uh, the Wall of Power Radio Hour, and for some reason, I always kind of considered... Kevin Bow coming of, coming of age with his band Summer of Love, and then his recordings, and yourself kind of came out of that whole mid uh, early to mid eighties uh, rock and roll scene, which was so vibrant as we know back then in the Twin Cities music scene. Without a doubt, you know Kevin uh, and I shared a stage as early as nineteen eighty nine. Um, I think it was my first gig in the Seventh Street entry as Willie Wisely Trio, and we co-billed with Rhea Valentine. And, sure. And, uh, yeah, and that was he and Wendy. I think he was the co-writer and the guitarist in that band, and he was just always a super impressive talent and great on stage. And it's just, you know, I can't be good enough friends with that guy. We, we were all way too busy. I would just love to spend some time. And your interview with him, by the way, was great. I'm a... I'm a new devotee to your show, Paul. Well, I'm happy that uh, you take the time to chat with us. And I've, you know, followed your uh, career from a bit of a distance uh, for years. And when I was reading over the uh, bio you sent, you know, a guy doesn't have to go to music school. You really did it with some of the names that I'm going to mention now who you worked with and studied with. First of all, a guy that really helped me out when I put out my first record, Paper Tigers of 1984, Mr. Dougie Ackerman. You know Dougie. Yes, he's legendary. We were, we were very tight. He held my hand when I put out my first single with Cancer in the Stars in 1982. Um, I'm trying to think, who was the guy he worked with? Um, you rem- you'd remember him if I said his name. Randy, but Dougie Randy Grass? Out. Randy Grass? Who's that? Randy Grass? No, not Randy. Dark-haired oh. guy. Yeah, um, Anyway, uh, I saw Dougie. I was playing at uh, Nice Polonaise Room. I started playing there in about 1998. And Dougie came down to have dinner and uh, was still, you know, it's one of the most sweetest cats in the music business of all time and uh, he was telling me about it he had a hookup at a club down in Key West and he wanted to get some of my uh, material down there for a possible gig and so I just happened to have some stuff for the car as you know all all self-promoters do right and so I gave him a little package and then geez it was just a couple of weeks later he passed away uh but tell, tell the folks out there in the Wall of Power Radio Land a little bit about Dougie Ackerman. 
Yeah, I met him. Uh, I was uh, like, you know, third man, ter- tier manager at the Wax Museum there in Dinkytown, kind of a, you know, an epic record store in, in Minneapolis history. And uh, it was owned by the Heilickers, which is, you know, kind of like rec- retail record royalty from the 50s, 60s, 70s. And, you know, Minneapolis was always a huge music retail town for some strange reason. And they, the Heilickers were part of that. Anyway, I worked for that. Uh, you know, I was uh, helping with used record buying and stuff like that. And one day I was running the store and I'm playing this new record that came in called um, Augustus Pablo's, you know, Firehouse, I think it was or something. And it's on this weird label called Shamaki and it's this dub reggae, hardcore dub reggae. And, and Dougie Ackerman walks in the door and goes, what the hell's going on? You know, like, you know, the world has <laughs> forgot about this. You know, it's Dougie Ackerman. I got an office around the corner in Dinky Town upstairs from Grace Drugs, and I, we, we distribute Shawnee. And I'm like, Shawnee's a going concern? Like, what? Wow. Still? And Dougie was all hooked in with this reggae company that had bought, you know, an Irish label named uh, I'm drawing blank. Uh, Sugar Hill, you know, I don't know. That's just a cool folk and Irish thing. And so Dougie hired me pretty much on the spot. Said, "I need you to come be my promo guy." So I've never seen that. He was my first maverick dude to yeah. a record industry guy to just believe in me just by vibe, you know. Yeah. And and I loved him. Yes, Dougie Ackman. May he rest in peace. Well, there's a couple. Uh other big names in your background. Uh, tell us a little bit about working with Steve Greenberg and John Fields. Yeah, um, those were the first guys to really believe in my music and and get behind me a hundred percent. They had started uh, Stevie, who you know had had amassed wealth and influence through his big hit Funky Town. Yeah, um, really got behind his nephew John Fields, and said, "John, I, we're going to start an empire together. You're going to produce all these people." Uh, Stevie called in every favor he had in the industry to to, to grow John's talent, which was profound, uh, which remains profound. And um, so John went through uh, Minneapolis looking for great artists to. He signed a number of them. Um, he, he initially came to me and said, hey, I'm putting together a John Denver tribute. Why don't you, Willie, why don't you come in the studio and we'll just do a live take with my favorite musicians. And, and I was a big John. I am a big John Denver fan. We did it and it worked out. It was super easy. So he pinned me against the wall and said, are you a star? <laughs> and I'm like, what? You know, this is after the session. And I'm like, uh, you know, I'm from Minnesota. I don't know how to answer that question, right? You know, it's, we're, we're all humble pie, dismissive For of sure. kind of thing. And I'm like, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and he said, well, you know, we got to work together. You're going to be a star. I'm going to make your records. And I'm like, whoa, uh, I guess you are. And um, <laughs> we, made, we made my. <laughs> John is such a number. He he says it like he sees it, and um, to this day, he just will blurt out whatever's on his mind, and I just love him with dear friends. And he made my 1996 record, She, um, and my 1997 record, In Close Succession, Turbo Sherbert. And those two albums, Uncle Stevie and, and he, they made sure they got on college radio nationwide. I went on national tours you know diy tours but you know we just with the backing of october and their staff they had a real deal record label out there in in the studio in golden valley so i just 
you know, Unc, Uncle Stevie is remains a, a, just a beloved person to me, a, eternally a patron uh, of of my art and my songwriting. And the same with Mr. Fields. Uh, and John produced my 2019 album, Face the Sun, which you'll be playing a track off of Cut Your Groove is the name of the track. So, yeah, love John, love Stevie. Give both those gentlemen my best. We're going to listen to a, a song by my guest, Willie Wisey, a track called Through Any Window, and we'll be with uh, Willie all night tonight on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. Early in the morning when the sun comes through any window Break the promise that each day is a new early morning Through any window Blue is the memory of a bedroom eyes Green as the envy I can't hide Red is the color that she lays so bare early morning Some might kiss me on my head of gloom in early morning Glide across the bed then fade at noon through any window In early morning Blue is the memory of a bedroom eyes Green as the envy I can't hide Red is the color that she lays so bare In early morning Through any window Bus take them far from home Take the children far from home Take the children far from home Soon to see how sad their lives become Through any window And blue is the memory of a Welcome back to the second set of the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. My guest for the whole night tonight, uh, musician's musician, Mr. Willie Wisely. Willie's been on every uh, every angle of the music biz, uh, but we love him as a performer and a songwriter. But uh, the first set we talked about him working with such uh, Minneapolis music legends as Stephen Greenberg, John Fields, and of course, Dougie Ackerman. But he also spent some time under the tutelage of one of America's greatest booking agents, Steve McClellan. Talk about working with Steve over at First Avenue, Willie. Yeah, I mentioned that Dougie was a real maverick inspiration to me in terms of like music business, you know, moxie. And uh, McClellan uh, is just like the same guy in different skin. Uh, Steve, yeah, brought... You know, Uncle Sam's and, uh, and and First Avenue into a, a place of, 
international recognition, you know, and all, all the way through and past the the Prince uh, Purple Rain years and stuff. And in 1988, uh, little Willie Wisely just needed a damn job, so I got, you know, I, I went to First Ave and asked if I could be a waitron. And um, and uh, and by the way, wait, not a waiter, not a waitress, but a waitron at First Avenue was always early to uh, yeah. open open-minded stuff and this is 1988 i go in turns out i'm the worst waiter in the world waitron in the world and <laughs> there's an all-company meeting and the promo person just left i think there was like some sort of cocaine habit and she just marched out and and steve literally looks at me like on my way out the door after basically firing myself uh and 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 says are you interested in promo and i'm like uh, yeah <laughs> Yeah, I've never done anything. And so instantly I became the club publicist and in charge of the ticketing and in charge of all the postering and the record store, you know, circuit where, where we sold all our stuff. There were, you know, 14, 15 major record stores in town that, at that point. And I just instantly became head of promotion. He just, with no experience, he just believed, you know, he just needed warm bodies. And I sat across the desk from him, just feet away from him for six years. Uh, 88 wow. to 94, and just soaked up his acerbic, um, uh, righteous, um, and very forward-thinking attitude towards humanity, equality, the music business, and keeping art first, and not yeah. letting business or legal concerns overwhelm that. And, um, you know, and then the cavalcade of people that came through there over, you know, imagine being in the office at First Avenue for those six years, you got two stages, you got six acts a night at least. You know, it's just like I saw so many hundreds of shows, as did many of my colleagues who, who've lived you know, from that, for those first half years. And it was just an education you can't get anywhere else, or maybe at all anymore, just because it used to be a little more dangerous. You know, the mob guys who'd show up with the, the booze and, and sure. you know, all it. You know, everybody chain smoking up in the office drove me crazy. You know, it was just, you know, there was something death defying about it. You know, anyway. you know, I, uh, I, I, I like you. I, I've seen hundreds of shows at the entry in First Avenue. I, I had the good pleasure of uh, playing the entry. My first show, I opened up uh, for Billy Bragg on her, his first American tour, and remained good friends to this day uh, with Mr. Bragg. And uh, and then I did my first headline show with my band at, uh, on, the, on the main stage in, I think, 1985, uh, where I opened a ton of shows. Just, I played with Joe Wheely and the Tannehill Weavers and Bruce Coburn and, and Yorma Kalkinen and others. But I tell, uh, there's a young man from my hometown of Virginia, Minnesota, named Preston Gunderson, who recently debuted on the main stage at First Avenue. And I texted him uh, the day of the show, and I said, uh, you know, there is nothing, there is no greater feeling in Minneapolis or maybe anywhere in the country than playing a rock club and sitting behind that curtain as it rises and there you are on the main stage at First Avenue. It is such a gorgeous rite of passage. Oh, you, I can't, yeah, you couldn't have said it more perfectly. Yep, that's an important stage. You know, the other thing about uh, McClellan, and I, I'd say the same thing about Dave Ray, um, at first, and Willie, and Willie Murphy, uh, they 
come off if you first met him as some of the most cantankerous people you've ever met. But once you got to know McClellan, Ray, or Willie Murphy, they were the sweetest guys you ever wanted to meet. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what that is. You know, is their their tool to stay true to the music, something like that? I don't know what it is, but it it fascinates me. I'm I'm more of a you know a panting uh, Labrador, you know, in my character. So I don't really have that in me, uh, but. To be around their energy and, and their, you know, it helps them curate their life, you know, and, and, and it's a beautiful thing. I, f- I follow those kind of people, you know. Well, they're, they're, they're truly visionaries. And, um, boy, you look at, you know, people post uh, occasionally on Facebook uh, the monthly calendars from First Avenue and 7th Street. It's amazing. Anybody who was anybody in the uh, in the uh, American music scene and uh, from Europe at one point or the other has played at First Avenue or the Seventh yeah. Street. Yeah, yeah, and it's still not owned by, you know, Live Nation or anything. I think it's, if, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's still fiercely independent, you know, and yeah. that's a beautiful thing. And I just, stepping back an inch, you know, yeah, it was McClellan who put Paul Metza in front of Bruce Coburn, you know, in 85 or whatever. That was... I mean, that was a personal choice, a thing, you know, and that that didn't happen by lottery. You know, this was someone who believed in you, believed your music was special, and believed it it, it shared something urgent with Bruce Coburn's voice. And, you know, that's it it was very purposeful there, you know. Yeah, he, he really had a feel for what all of us were doing. I remember... I had the pleasure of, uh, when I, I had a single come out, I believe it was 86 or 87, and I had my buddy Dave Sneaker Ray open for me. And uh, a friend of mine, Arnie Broger, who was a great booking agent who's back in Minneapolis, and I mean, he's booked over the years John Cale and Tony Bennett, and and uh, he had a thing called the Memphis Blues Caravan with Bucka White and Furry Lewis, and I sent him the... Uh, the calendar that somebody posted last month of Dave Ray opening for me, he goes, well, he said, that would have been a great night of music, except <laughs> the headliners should have been switched around. With you for that. <laughs> and I go, I, I totally get it. But uh, but it was, of course, my uh, record relief show. And, and, and Dave couldn't have been nicer than to accept to open that show. But that was the first time David played First Avenue, and Steve was so jacked that I got him. Uh, Dave left, you know, right after the show, which is, you know, that's kind of why Dave rolled. And he was used to do a weekly over at St. Anthony East on East Hennepin. And uh, Steve, the next uh, next time Dave played, left First Avenue, which is the first time people said that McClellan had been out of First Avenue in years and walked over to bring Dave his money for the show. And uh, then, of course, you know, Corinna Ray Clover ended up playing several shows there. But uh, uh, we were lucky, Willie, to, to, to know all these guys. Yep, yep. I, I met Dave once actually through Dougie Ackerman. They were good friends, yeah. uh, if, if not doppelgangers physically. And, um, <laughs> And, uh, yeah, um, McClellan knew his history, and he knew how important those guys, you know, those guys were on Electra Records and that, in the folk revolution, you know, in the, what, early 60s. And, yeah, McClellan knew they were meaningful. If, you know, if forgotten in the local scene, he, he was going to stand in them. I, you know, I remember we brought them into the main room to open up for something in the late 80s. Can't remember what it was, but I don't know. 
hey, cool that you know Billy Bragg. I mean, talk about a, a righteous guy. There you go. Oh, yeah, he is a guy that walks the walk and talks the talk and uh, still is great as ever. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, you saw uh, probably more shows than I did at first half, although I uh, I wish I had $5 for every free drink ticket I talked McClellan out of over the years because he's always good even if you weren't playing there if you had played there he was always good for two or three free drink tickets but man I saw personally uh, Link Ray, Metallica the Neville Brothers uh, the Ramones I mean the list goes on and on what were some of the most legendary shows that you remember Willie Wisely that you saw or played at at First Avenue um, I re- the, the most important ones to me are a little odd. You know, I saw the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I saw Nirvana. You know, I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw the Pixies. Um, but the most important ones to me in my memory are Fela Kuti. Oh, yeah, um, I saw that show. Oh, my God. The dancers, remember that one bus oh. pulls up with full of dancers, and the other and bus I, pulls up to the nightclub with the musicians. He was married to, like, ten of them at the same time. Yeah, 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 and that was what a show, and there was no evidence that they wanted to ever stop playing, yeah. you know, it, it just could have gone on all night, and that stage was so packed, and remember, they, there's like a 15-foot-tall drum up on the back left of the stage, where yeah. some guy's standing on top of a ladder playing it, like, <laughs> so deep and rich, what a great cultural experience that was, man, and we just danced our asses off. And I actually have a, I made a bootleg recording of it, so I have that on cassette somewhere. Okay, but, we got um, to talk, Willie. <laughs> yeah, we do have to talk. And then uh, Sun Ra, uh, that was a real big one for me. I'm a, I'm, I'm a jazz freak, so to see yeah. the actual Sun Ra playing was pretty mind-blowing. Yeah, yeah. I saw Sun Ra at the Guthrie Theater, and uh, like he says, space is the place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we can relate, <laughs> you and got, I. Uh, we got the great Willie Wisely on the show tonight. Tell us a little bit about this next track we're going to listen to, Cut Your Groove. Yeah, produced by John Fields. Um, it was cut live without a click track. That's a real band. Jim, Jim Anton on bass. Who I, oh, I, Jimmy I Anton. played a lot I, with, Paul. I got a brain, Willie Wisely. I gave Jimmy Anton his very first gig in Minneapolis. I had a headline <laughs> weekend at the Caboose in 1986, and uh, I was using this bass player who who shall remain homeless, who didn't sh- show up for the uh, uh, sound check at four. I got on the phone. I got uh, Mick McCormick uh, from uh, Grace, uh, great bass player who came and showed up on the spot. And that night a, guy, a kid came up to me, fresh out of Berkeley School of Music, named Jimmy Anton, just in from Boston. And he goes, hey, I'm a bass player. If you ever need a bass player, give me a call. I go, as a matter of fact, son, I need one tomorrow night. And uh, so I gave Jimmy his first gig. And uh, I'm also proud to say he met his lovely wife, Michelle, at a Paul Metzger gig. Oh, man. They are, yeah, and they're just king and queen to me. I just, Michelle, just a beautiful spirit. Oh, my God, so talented, too. And, and Jimmy, there's no... You know, one of the best bass players in the country. Who else was on this track? I cut you after. Yeah, uh, Peter Anderson on drums. And sure. He plays with 
Run Musty Run right now, and he played in the Willie Wisely Trio and starting in 1987. And John Fields is on the bass and also leaning over to click record on the tape machine. This is recorded direct to tape, two-inch tape, uh, no click track. So it's a good, good old-fashioned rock and roll recording. And uh, yeah, I hope you all enjoy it. it. Was it's on my most recent album, Face the Sun. And uh, and I believe people can track down these recordings and your performance schedules. It is it wiselymusic.com? I prefer people just go find me on the platforms where they're comfortable. If you dig, if you dig Instagram, if you dig Facebook, go find me there. I'm available at all the streaming services, you know, Spotify, Apple, Amazon, all that. So yeah, go there. Yeah, because you are you are a modern cat, Willie Wisely. Here's "Cut Your Groove" by Willie Wisely. Back with one more set with Mister Wisely on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. Third set on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. My friend Willie Wisey on for the whole show tonight. He's got a big show coming up on Valentine's Day at the Granada Theater in Uptown Minneapolis. Willie, tell us a little bit about uh, what people are going to hear on your Valentine's Day show. Yeah, I have written songs of love all my career, and it just suddenly dawned on me that, like, man. I should own Valentine's Day. <laughs> so I thought, what, wouldn't it be nice to do a sit-down dinner, a romantic, you know, arrangement? You know, I, I, I've, I've got a song called Flowers for the Lady, and it's all about taking a flower off of a major D at the restaurant and giving it to your girlfriend. And I, I just like, you know, I just want to start there and, and let it bloom. And um, I thought, I've got this great Minneapolis band, um, 
so many talented people in it, and I, I just want to. And also, we're, you know, the, 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 the point of playing shows sometimes is just get up there and rock their faces off. And I'm like, I don't know. I kind of think personally, my my best stuff is my ballads and my yeah. stuff that's in six eight time and and things that talk about deeper emotions and so it's like i want to play a gig where i do emotive music and not necessarily mm-hmm. kinetic music and so this is willie wisely plays for lovers valentine's day february 14th at the granada theater uptown and there's a the granada made up an exquisite custom bespoke uh, menu for the night, and you can sit down and have a five-course meal for that wow. price and a, and a four-course for this price and a la carte for that price. and Or you can just come and pay 15 bucks and, and enjoy a great show. And the acoustics in that place, anyone who remembers the, um, uh, what was it called, Suburban World Theater oh, between... Two other lots. You know, yeah, yeah, I saw a lot of mo- movies there. It's it's still the same silent movie theater from the 1920s with all the Spanish colonial arched roofs and portobellos and in there and the statuary and, and and they project stars and moon on the screens like they did when the theater opened. Yeah, so it's a great place to see a show and it's a great place to bring your loved one, your partner, um, a, a friend and have an, a, a really extraordinary meal and their kitchen is from scratch. They don't, you know, the 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 co- the, the, what, the 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 you know the trucks don't pull up with all the sauces. You know, they make them all right. from scratch there. So, yeah. cool. Now I gotta ask you, <clears throat> Willie. Uh, you spent a lot of time. I think you left uh, Minneapolis for Los Angeles in 1999. And when I was reading a bit of your bio, it said you also have done a little acting while you were out there. Yeah, when I first got to L.A., I just needed, you know, income. And I was, you know, doing some film scoring, but work was sort of intermittent. And I thought, well, I was a theater minor in college. Let's see. And and I was actually in some uh, uh, theater stuff in, in Minneapolis, I guess most notably as something about uh, – uh, Orson Welles' uh, uh, you know works project, but works progress, uh, you know stuff from the 1930s. It was at the Southern Theater, and I really enjoyed that. And it, it blended my music with with acting, and and I was in high school plays and stuff. I'm a big ham, so I'm I'm all sure. in for it. And and uh, so I started applying for extra work, and and because I kind of have a weird look, and I you know I kind of have a 70s vibe or something. I I got. I got booked as a lot of drug dealers and ne'er do wells and stuff, and so, and I just kept my face kept appearing in like you know uh, the pilot to Six Feet Under. I, I had a little quick cameo, um, and uh, the movie Autofocus, um, Austin Powers Gold Member, wow, uh, a, a bunch, yeah, a bunch of a Tostitos commercial in the Super Bowl, uh, you know, from early aughts, and you know, just you know, you barely get paid at all, and you're and you're surrounded by people who are all trying to poke their face in the camera to be next to whoever, you know, Mike Myers, whoever's starring in the movie or Beyonce. But um, it was, uh, so it's sort of hell, you know, honestly, hell work. But um, it was fun, and, and, you know, and I kept getting put into sort of elevated, like, hey, put a a waiter costume on him and have him bring the food. And so I'm not just background, I'm sort of, just because I had an interesting look. And and so that's a funny part of my life. and occasionally fans will email me going, hey, get the hell off my uh, the TV screen. What are you doing in Six Feet Under? That's my favorite show ever. And, oh, cool. You know, I, was a, yeah, I was a crack dealer uh, in the first episode of Six Feet Under. 
I don't know if you've ever bumped into Chris Smolke. Uh, St. Paul boy, he was, uh, he's been over 100 films and, and, and television no. shows. His first job, uh, he went to, uh, uh, grew up in, in St. Paul. His first job when he moved to Los Angeles after being, going to the, you know, working at the Children's Theater and the Guthrie Theater was he played a, a gay Coke dealer on Beretta. <laughs> it's kind of worked cool. his way up, but he's, uh, just a phenomenal actor and also a really good musician as well. Speaking now, I, I had a little twinge of jealousy when I was reading your bio. You lived for a while in Laurel Canyon. Let's talk about yeah. Laurel Canyon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, uh, um, right away when I moved to uh, Los Angeles, um, I was told West Hollywood was cool, had some affordable uh, rentals, and then right above West Hollywood is Laurel Canyon, and all you have to do is drive up there once and realize, okay, I need to live here among these yeah. windy roads where you can just get lost, and it's immediately apparent, like, okay, there's Frank Zappa's place, that's where the monkeys live, that's where Three Dog Night live, that's sure. where Joni owns, that's where, you know, Carol King wrote Tapestry there, and you're just like, this is all within one mile of what I what I just described, and... Yeah. um so the legacy, you know, oh, the doors live there, blah, blah, blah. And um, it just goes on and on. So it, it's this storied neighborhood. Um, I didn't even mention Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and the Mamas and the Papas, and, 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 and endless. But so I was drawn to the place, and we bought a little house up there. It was 900 square feet. And it turns out that um, it was right next door to Neil Young's pad, and wow. it turned out that, you know, the scion to the Reynolds aluminum foil uh, uh, fortune misbehaved there. And then the famous Beatles photographer, William, what, somebody lived there and had actually left art on the wall of his. And, and I just, that was still there when we bought the house. And it was just a really fun place to live. Very creative. I built a studio in the garage. Um, we had two kids. And we lived in 900 square feet. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that was crazy stuff. And and you're literally living among, you know, the the bam, you know bamboo goes grows two stories tall. So the bamboo yeah. is just rustling all around you, and it's a magical, magical place. Did you ever bump into Jimmy Steinfeld out there, the photographer? I live. I'm in my backyard on day three of owning this house in 2004, and a few rocks come tumbling down the hill that is straight above me. I mean, we're talking like a, a, a you know, a 60 percent grade straight up, and and the hills there are made of crumbling granite, so there's lots of rocks you can throw, and, and all this stuff is coming down on my head, and I look up, and it's some guy a hundred yards up going. <laughs> and it's, and I come to learn that you know to get to his house you have to drive two miles of winding road, but he's yeah. a hundred, he's a hundred yards straight above me. And, <laughs> and, Fantastic. Uh, Jimmy Steinfield, who lived um, you know Elysian Way or something like that, and we had so he threw parties because he had this view of like two hundred seventy degrees of of you know the valley and the and the Hollywood Basin and. Yeah, Jimmy was very generous. He had a beautiful photo studio up there. Took a lot of photos of, of me and all the friends. And, yeah, documented that time. And a sweet guy. Well, oh, Willie, honestly, uh, I wish you the best of luck. 
on your Valentine's Day show uh, at the uh, Granada Theater in Uptown, Minneapolis. I look forward to seeing you in person when I get down to <clears throat> Minneapolis. I'm going to track you down. We've got to do lunch together and uh, get caught up in person. But thanks so much for spending time with us this evening. We're going to go out uh, with a song Willie's called Too Quick to Live. And, uh, God, I wish you all the best, Willie, and welcome back to Minnesota. Oh, thank you, Paul. It's been such a pleasure to reconnect with you, and and uh, I love your show, and thank you for telling everyone about Valentine's Day at the Granada Theater. Pre- really appreciate that. Yep, it'll be a special show. That dirty old T-shirt never looked better And hung on the frame of my beautiful Heather She's young And I'm stung Through all of the pain And all my denial The arguments lasted for miles and miles We went deep Cross our legs, I insisted You resisted Thanks for listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. The show is produced by Paul Metza, engineered by Brett Johnson. We'd like to thank our guest, Willie Wisely. My book, Alphabet Jazz, Poetry, Prose, Stories, and Songs, is available on Amazon.com or buy it in person at the Electric Fetus in Minneapolis. I have a big show coming up as part of the Music and Storytellers series sponsored by Sue McLean and Associates at the Women's Club on March 25th. Please show up. I think you'll enjoy it. And like my dad used to tell me, remember to be kind and make someone happy. The power brokers, the power will fall.